0: We're jumping back into our Elijah series. We, we left off last week because we had Family Sunday and uh, didn't think this was really the best uh, topic for little kids in the room. Not that it's like super graphic, but just not, it's pretty heavy. And um, so we, we uh, spoke on the prodigal son last week, but we're going to jump in today in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8, all right? We're, we're eight verses into the life of Elijah. It's pretty awesome. Um, it says this in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. Okay, so... Elijah was at this place called Cherith. He was drinking from the brook there, if you remember from a couple weeks ago. The brook dries up that he's drinking from because there's a famine in the land. Why is there a famine in the land? Because God commanded there to be. Elijah was praying for this famine. He was praying for God's will over his own comfort. And the brook dries up during that time as well. Ravens are bringing him meat to eat uh, while he's there. And then eventually at this point, God says, all right, you're done with the brook at Cherith, now I'm going to send you to Zarephath, all right? And Zarephath means crucible, all right? Zarephath means crucible. Crucible means, let me get this right, a situation of severe trial or in which different elements interact, leading to the creation of something new, okay? So it's a place of severe testing or trial that involves two different elements interacting, that leads to the creation of something new. Well, when Elijah is in Zarephath, all of these three things happen. It is a place of severe testing and trial for him. He interacts with a different element. In this case, a widow, right? Who is not Hebrew. She's from a Gentile area, Sidon. And then out of it, out of it, leads to a new creation. You gotta be careful when you're sitting on the front row, (laughs) y'all. It's, it's a bigger responsibility. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't let, let that one go, Trey. Um, but all of it leads to something new, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Crucibles lead to Christ-likeness. And if we want to be more like Christ, if we want to be more like Jesus, we have to go through Crucibles we have to understand that, that new things are coming. We don't become like Jesus and stay the same. All right? It doesn't work that way. And this is hard because we like comfort. And it's hard to be comfortable when we're doing things differently. If, if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, a lot of our pursuit of Jesus is not about our pursuit for Jesus. It's about our pursuit for comfort. And our prayers can reflect that. Lord help me in this, help me in that, not so I can be more like you, but so I can live a more comfortable life. And what God is saying, listen, I want to, I want to give you the desires of your heart, but not so that you can be comfortable, but so you can be more like me and so that you can know me more and so that you can glorify me more. And in that is an adventure, but a lot of times it's not comfortable. So are, are we praying to be more like Jesus or are we praying to be more comfortable? Because what we see here is our crucibles, these these things that give us something new, are not comfortable. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 17. It says, "'No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine, new wine is stored in new wineskins, so that both are preserved.'" So if we even go back to last week when we were talking about the prodigal son, we talked about how the son wanted his inheritance and he spoiled it because he wasn't ready, right? He blew it all on wild living. He wasn't mature enough to handle the inheritance that he would get one day. And what, what we need to guard ourselves against and be, be careful of is not asking for the new wine, but keeping the old wine skin. Because if we want the new wine, if we want that new blessing, if we want that change in our lives and we don't want to change to get it, we're gonna burst, And God's saying, I can't give you what you're asking for until I give you the new wineskin. Because if I give it to you now, you're gonna burst. And I talk about our our staff, with with our staff here all the time, I want Beaches Chapel to grow. I I wanna see growth here, but I wanna see it grow in a healthy pace to where we aren't bursting like old wineskin asking for the new wine. I want us to grow healthy so when the new wine comes, we're ready for it. We're ready for it. And that is what God is doing with Elijah here as he takes him to Cherith, and then from Cherith to Zarephath, he is building in him new wineskin. He's building in him new wineskin so that he can pour on him new wine. But I think, I think all of us are guilty of holding on to the things that were. God, if you could just make it like it was, if you can just do that again, right? If you can just do that same thing again, oh, won't it be glorious? But God say, no, 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 no. That wine was for that wineskin, but I'm creating new wineskin for you for some new wine. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, in rivers, in the desert. Listen, y'all, Jesus' entire existence was a brand new thing had never been seen before, never been done before. God in the flesh coming down to his creation, are you serious? No one could fathom that. It was a new thing. In all of us, the reason that we follow Jesus, the reason that we love Jesus, is not because when we met Jesus, it reminded us of someone else or something else. Is because Jesus was this radical, new and different thing in our lives that we had never experienced before. He's a new thing. And yet we meet Jesus, we start to follow him, and then all we want are the things of old. They're the things that attracted us to Jesus in the first place, we don't want anymore. We just want the comfort of the old. But the truth is, y'all, when we cling to the things of old, we miss Jesus. If you were walking the face of this earth when Jesus was here and you were only looking to the things of old, then he walked right by you you didn't even see him. Because he was a new thing. And are we so fixated on the old things in our life that we're missing the things that Jesus is trying to do in us now? God was building new wineskin for Elijah for this very moment. And what we see with Elijah is immediate obedience from him again. Elijah's at the brook, dries up. The ravens are feeding him. Right when he's getting used to things, I would imagine, right? He's kind of found a little comfort. Being alone, he's he's used to that. And then God says, okay, now I want you to move. I want you to do something different. Okay, I'll go. I want to ask you all a question this morning, or maybe just for you to ponder. If you want to know if God is calling you to something, ask yourself how comfortable you are right now. Honestly. How comfortable are you in your walk right now? You're like, man, I feel pretty good. Okay, pack your bags, (laughs) right? Something's coming. And listen, I'm I'm writing this sermon this week, and I'm going, all right, Lord, I hear you. Like, can we just title this James's sermon this week? Like, because I don't, listen, God's moving here, okay? And we all need to be ready for some new things. Because I don't want to be a church that's comfortable and gets in just a routine and a habit and a cycle of things like this, right? But I know that God is going to be doing some things here at Beaches Chapel. And y'all, in order to reach new people, we might need to get a little uncomfortable. But you know what? That's okay because I don't want to miss Jesus for the sake of comfort. And I want to say this too. I want to say this too. If you didn't come to a community group this week, join one. Get out of your comfort zone. Work your schedule around it if you have to. But we had such a great first week this week. Every single group that I talked to said it was awesome. And it was just week one. So for some of the ladies I hadn't even gotten their books yet on, on the study. But I'll say this, for, for those of us men that were at the 6 a.m. study, I was so humbled and, and, and proud and like in the, in, of our church to see 15 men in the room with our Bibles open, just our Bibles open, just talking about Scripture and what, what this means, what Jesus means. And I, I heard the same about the, the Zoom group uh, later that day. And the same with our women's Bible study on the, the, the Wednesday night and the Thursday morning. Like it was just, y'all, you want some new wine in your life? Get out of your comfort zone. Join a community group. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. But we got to take those steps. All right, going back to verse 10, I want to reread this. It says, So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. Okay, so listen, I think, I don't know if this is just meme, but there are times when God calls us, and we know that where he's calling us to is going to be Uncomfortable, right? But we convince ourselves that, hey, maybe not. Maybe actually, this is going to be this most amazing thing, and it just it just seems that way right now. Like if you're Elijah, oh, you want me to go to this widow, and you've instructed her to feed me. Well, maybe this widow is that one widow on the planet that has like a super rich dad, right? And it's actually going to be super comfortable, and this food's going to be awesome, way better than the ravens were feeding me. So maybe, just maybe, God, that's what it is, and He took that whole journey. Maybe just in the back of His mind, hoping and wishing for that, right? anyone else done that before besides me no just me okay but then he gets to Zarephath and he sees this widow at the at the gate and she's collecting sticks he's like bubble burst right oh she's not just poor she's like poor poor right hashtag poor poor Uh, and, and that's this hope that he has of maybe it's this just is gone like that before he even really gets into the town he sees her gathering sticks Can't even afford wood. This is a famine of bread, y'all, not wood. But she can't even afford that. And so she's at her end, gathering these sticks. And then what does he say to her? One, bring me a little bit of water. But then he also says, bring me a bite of bread too. Elijah in this moment, y'all, is leaning into the promise of God. Because if you go back and you reread the words that God says to him when going to Zarephath, he doesn't say there is a widow that will give you shelter or that will give you water. It says, there is a widow that will feed you. I have instructed her to feed you. Well, Elijah's traveled quite a bit. He's hungry and he's saying, okay, God, if this is what you said that you've instructed her to do and I'm hungry, I'm gonna ask for some bread. He's leaning into it. Y'all, this is what confident obedience looks like. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. And then I'm also going to believe, check this out, your promise, God, over what I see with my own eyes. Because the picture that I see with my eyes is a widow who is super poor gathering sticks. And it doesn't look like she's really going to be able to feed me much. But because you said it, I'm going to ask it. Because I trust your promise over what I see. What we see, our, our eyes can be very deceitful to us, y'all. But God's promises never Ever are. And so Elijah leans in to the promise of God here. He leans in and he asks for that bite of bread. Verse 12. But she said, Listen to these words I swear by the Lord your God, the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. Elijah catches this widow prepping for her last meal. Now let's just consider the state of this woman in this moment. She's lost her husband. She's at the brink of starvation. She's doing everything she could. And then a famine hits. And any garden that she might have had, any, anything that she could provide for her son and herself was wiped out because of this famine. And I would imagine, this is just me, I haven't read any, any commentary on this, but I'm willing to guess that she's young. And the reason I guess this is because if, she, if, if her son was older, he would probably be helping her, right? Or maybe he would have a job somewhere and he'd be able to make some bit of money. But I imagine in my head that she's young and that her son is young, and so all the responsibility is on her shoulders. She's carrying a weight that is too much for her. And just as Elijah shows up, she has given up. But here's what we need to understand too, y'all. Our crucibles in our life are not just about us. They are about those around us too. And God uses us in our crucibles to minister to other people who desperately need it. And it's funny here, her reaction, because God tells Elijah when we, when we picked it up, in the beginning of our reading in verse 8, it says, He instructed a widow to feed him. It doesn't really sound like she got the memo, right? Like, I swear to you, <laughs> by your God, that I don't have anything. Like, it's almost like I, I, I promise you that I would if I could. I mean, hospitality it was, it was a big deal back then. And if I, so, so her just even saying that she can't feed this stranger is a sign of failure. How much more so the fact that she can't keep her son alive. God's using her, God's sorry, God's using Elijah to meet her right where she's at. And even though she doesn't know that she's been instructed by God, she has been. And I love Elijah's response in verse 13. So after she says, I can't do it, my son and I are going to die. It says, but Elijah said to her, again, he's leaning into the promise of God here. "'Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again.' So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days, There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. His first words to her, not there's going to be flour and oil. His first words to her are don't be afraid. Afraid of not having enough food? No. Don't be afraid of dying. You're not going to die. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. And then he promises her by the name of God of Israel, right? He says, by the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what he says. She says it's not her God. Elijah comes back and says, oh, but the God of Israel, my God, the God who lives. It's almost almost word for word what he says to Ahab at the beginning of the story. He says, the God of Israel who lives, there will be no rain. He's saying it again to this widow. The God of Israel says this. If he can cause it to not rain, if he can feed me with ravens, if he can protect me on a hundred mile journey from Cherith to Zarephath with Jezebel breathing down my neck, trying to kill me, surely he can stop the oil and the flour from running out. This new wineskin is forming around Elijah. He's leaning into the promises of God. He's being obedient immediately. He's interacting with this element that is not like him, right? So it's it's a crucible. It's it's severe testing and trial. Listen, going into a town and seeing a widow gathering sticks, who's supposed to be the one that feeds you, that says, oh, by the way, we're making our last meal right now, and then we're going to die. That's a severe test and trial to trust in God's promise. Elijah does it. He interacts with her. So the third element that's missing is the brand new thing. And it's coming, y'all. And it's an awesome thing. But what we need to understand in this moment right here, because he leans into God's promise, man's obedience and God's faithfulness leads to miracles. Man's obedience and God's faithfulness leads to miracles. And we see that right here. Elijah leans into God's promise. He doesn't waver. He doesn't trust his eyes. He doesn't trust her situation. He says, no, 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 no. God said that you were going to feed me. So let's eat. And a miracle happens. The flour and the oil don't run out. And she's sustained. Story over, right? No. Verse 17. Sometime later... The woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? You know what she's saying? You came here to judge me. So she's been carrying this weight. We see with her words what her heart is holding, and that is my, my husband died, and I'm in this situation, and now my son is dead because of me. Because I failed in some way. I didn't do what I should have done and now God's punishment is on me and this is why all these things are happening. So this guy, Elijah, who is a man of God, has come here to kill my son, to point out my sins and kill my son. You all this is such a great example in this story of Jesus in our lives. We have all this stuff that we've done Right? Every single one of us. We all have regrets. Well, we all have mistakes. And there might be a time where we consider that Jesus is here. God is sitting in heaven and he's just pointing the finger at us, judging us, condemning us. And things that happen in our life must be because of that. And what we see with Elijah, no, 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 it's, Elijah is not there to judge her. He's there to save her. Just like when Jesus was on this earth and is in our lives, he is not there to condemn us. God does not sit in heaven as a judge to condemn us, but to save us. God brought Elijah to this woman right when she was on the brink to save her. Not to to say, look, it's not about what you've done. I love you. Y'all, for everyone in here, listen to this. God loves you. And he sent Jesus to save you, not to judge you. Things in your life that might not be going well is not a reflection of what you have done. Jesus loves you. And he wants to save you from that thinking. Don't be afraid. As Elijah said, don't walk in fear. Elijah replied in verse 19, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the the Lord truly speaks through you. Amazing. Amazing miracle. Here's what we need to understand about this miracle that makes it even that much greater. This miracle of raising someone from the dead was unprecedented. It had never happened before. There was no point in Scripture that Elijah could reference and say, God, you did it then. You did it to that person. So won't you do it again now? There was none of that. It was just do it. I've never seen it with my eyes. No one has ever asked of this. But here I am, God, asking you to raise this boy from the dead. Y'all, that is called new wine. And that requires new wine skin. Something that has never been done before. Check this out, y'all. If Elijah had gone back and looked at what had been done, he never would have asked for this because it never would have—it was never done. And when all we do is consider the things of old, we never dare to ask what has never been done. This has never been done. And, and on a side note, I love that it says that he came down from the upper room, by the way. Can we just acknowledge that in the beauty of Scripture? And Elijah took this baby, or this boy, into the upper room. If you don't know what the upper room is. The upper room is where the disciples met after Jesus died, and Jesus appears to them. The upper room, this special place. He goes with him and God into this room. And God hears his prayer, and he revives this boy back to life. New wine, a new creation, something that has never been done before. Unprecedented. I don't know about y'all, but I'm really curious what unprecedented looks like here at Beaches Chapel. I'm really interested to see what that is like for each one of you in your homes, in your marriages, with your finances, with all the health, all those things. But are we willing to sustain the crucible? Are we willing to lean into the promises of God? And when it doesn't look right in our eyes, when it doesn't look right on paper, we can say, no, God, you said it. You said she would feed me. You said this. And so I'm gonna lean in I'm going to lean into your promise and I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to have confident obedience. And I'm going to ask for that bread even when it doesn't look like there's any bread left. And it's it's y'all it's great to get excited about but it requires new wineskin. We want to be more like Christ. We're going to have to go through the crucibles. But I, I, I prayed this morning that this would be a confirming word for, for many of us in here. Maybe all of us, who knows. But that you've been feeling this push to maybe get a little uncomfortable. And you've been clinging to the things of old. And God's saying, I want to do something new. That's why all of his healing miracles look totally different. I'm going to heal the blind guy with mud this time. I'll do it a different way the next time. Jesus is he's too creative to do things over and over the same way. He's too fun to do things the same way. He's too exciting to do things the same way. He wants new, and he wants new in us. So yes, we stand on the things of old, but we believe For new things. We don't dismiss the things of old. Those are amazing testimonies. But we also do so looking forward at the things that we haven't seen done yet. I want to ask the band to come back up and I want to give you all very, very quickly four keys to trusting in the Lord. Very quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. The first one is I am here by God's appointment. I'm here by God's appointment. I'm not here by accident. This wasn't punishment. I'm here by God's appointment. The second was I am in his keeping. So while I'm here, I'm under his protection and I'm under, under his provision. Now, that provision might sometimes feel like ravens feeding you meat, but in it, you are still being provided for and protected. So when you have to make that journey, that hundred mile journey from Cherith to Zarephath as a fugitive, right, you're protected. So I'm in his keeping. I am under his training I mean that God is doing something in this. He is creating new wineskin for me. So while I'm here, while he's providing, while I'm in his keeping, he's creating new wineskin. And the last one, he'll reveal his purpose in his time. You might be saying, why? Why, 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 why? Why are you doing this, God? That fourth key, he will reveal it to you in his time. He will. The lessons that Elijah learned in Cherith and Zarephath are monumental. And they go beyond just this incredible, unprecedented miracle that we're going to see really soon, where he takes it. But I know for, for many of us in here, you're, you're, that why question is just killing you. Why? Why and for how long? Trust the Lord. Lean into his promises over you and believe that new wine is coming. Let's believe as a church for unprecedented miracles in this place and in your homes. But Y'all, we got to lean into it. We got to get a little uncomfortable. Maybe try some new things. But I know it's coming. I believe it's already here. We've seen it. We've seen the miracles. Right, brother? Thank you, Jesus. Have you all stand up. We're going to worship. I just want to pray over us this morning. Wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, you are faithful. You are a faithful God. And Lord, we do, I believe, Lord, we believe that our obedience and your faithfulness leads to miracles. Our obedience and your faithfulness leads to miracles. And I pray right now, Jesus, for all of us in here who are walking through it, are being called to more. Maybe you've put something already in front of us and it's going to require us being uncomfortable or that we would lean into your promise. We would be quick to be obedient like Elijah. When you said go, he went. And we would trust you, Lord. We would trust you. Father, for those right now who are in their crucible, they are walking in it, it is like in the thick of it. Lord, I pray that their trust in you would increase they would be reminded of these four things that we just said. That they're not there by accident, by their own doing, by, their, by any sort of failure or anything like that. I, I, Lord Jesus, right now, I, I cast that lie out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we break that power of that voice to be silenced. And anyone in here, anyone watching online that would think that they are in the place that they're at because of their own failures, because they caused any of this, Lord. They would not have that widow's thought in Jesus' name. God, even if there were missteps taken, Lord, you're, you're, you're with us. You're with us in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord. will not fear. Lord. God, that you would continue to provide and protect those that are in their own crucible. Lord, that you are, you are developing that new wine skin. Thank you, Jesus. You're developing that new wine skin, Lord. And that you're gonna pour out new wine. Lord, I pray that for every person in here, Jesus every person in every marriage, every home. And Lord, I do pray for that for all of Beaches Chapel, as a church as a whole. God, that there is a fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you're waiting to dump on this place, Father, that is new and that is unprecedented. Hallelujah. God, show yourself faithful to those that are struggling this morning. Show yourself faithful, Father. Yes, Jesus, show yourself faithful. Strengthen them. Encourage them. God, that they wouldn't walk in defeat or feeling alone, feeling helpless. God, as they're feeling like, man, I feel like I'm gathering my sticks. God, that you would come in, your Holy Spirit would come in and be their Savior, Lord that they would hear the words that the flour and the oil will not run out. The flour and the oil will not run out because our God is alive. You are above everything, Lord. And Elijah knew that, and we know that. And if the theme of Elijah is that he is a man just like us, Lord, then we say those same words that he said. And we say it with confidence that our God is greater than all things. So thank you, Jesus, for those that need to hear it this morning and those that need to hear it, listen to me when I tell you that the flour and the oil will not run out. And you are going to make it in Jesus' name, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he is not here to condemn you or judge you, but to save you. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. And God, for those that need miracles, for those that need miracles, Father, We just stand in agreement right now that you would provide that miracle for them. Whatever it might be, whatever it might look like, you are a miracle-working God, and we do not shy away from it, Lord. We do not speak that word with trepidation or fear that it might not, but we speak it out in truth that you are a God who performs miracles. You do, Lord Jesus. And so we ask him of you, Lord. We ask those miracles of you right now, Father. Yes, Jesus, if you can be so bold this morning, if you need a miracle right now, I ask you just raise your hand. Wherever you're at, if you need a miracle, thank you, Jesus. God, I just ask right now for those in this room with their hand up, Lord God, that you would perform a miracle in their life, Jesus. That you would move on their behalf, Lord God. You would speak to them in the promises that they need to hear from you out of your word. They would lean into hard, Father. Because you speak the truth, Lord. You are not a God who lies. Yes, Jesus, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So be that today, Lord. Be that for them, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for new wine all over this place, for unprecedented miracles all over this place, God. Miracles of healing, miracles of restoration, miracles of finances, God, whatever it might be, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, right now for miracles of new wine. Hallelujah. Yes, God, you can do it. You can do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're faithful. You are so good. You're so good. We praise you this morning. We bless you as we worship. Thank you, Jesus.